Hey, Dad, what do you do when you're out with friends? The waiter comes up and tries to take everybody's order, but the whole table freezes up, and everyone's looking at each other trying to find some help. Mm, that's a great question. So what, what should I do? You should have some confidence, Dad, or as our friends at Jägermeister call it, shotfidence. If everyone's having trouble ordering, here's what you do. You take charge, you grab the bull by the horns, you find that dog in you, and you make an executive decision. And just order for the table a round of ice-cold Jägermeister shots. Damn, that's cold. Because apparently, we've all been drinking Jägermeister wrong. Did not know that. How should we be drinking it? Glad you asked, Dad. We should be drinking it ice cold at zero degrees Fahrenheit. Well, that brings up other things that I love ice cold as well. And I'll tell you right out of the gate, that's going to be a candy bar pulled out of the freezer. That's my way of eating candy. Oh, I love it. On the golf course out there, you get to the turn in the middle of the round there, and you get to that little clubhouse there, and they've always got the candy bar options, and I always see they've usually got a little box of them in the freezer, and it always makes it better on a hot day out on the golf course, taking a bite of that cold, cold chocolate and getting ready to go for the rest of my round. It's the same way with Jägermeister. So wherever you are, if you're hanging out with friends at the bar, call the shots. Cheers with ice-cold shots of Jägermeister. Damn, that's cold. And remember to check out Jägermeister at www.draftkingsxjägermeister.com. Remember, drink responsibly. Jägermeister liqueur, 35% alcohol by volume. Imported by Mast Jägermeister US, White Plains, New York. Lots of things go better together. Hockey, food, golf, peanut butter and jelly, Gojo and Golik, Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey. What? But if you really want to take things to the next level, drink some Labatt Blue Lights with your friends and live life to the power of we. Always enjoy responsibly. Beer, Labatt USA, Buffalo, New York. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Gojo with Mike Gold Jr. That is me. With me, as always, super producer Brandon Newman. Brandon, how we feeling? Feeling good, Mike. Um, in the city of brotherly love currently, where are you? I am in Dodge City, Kansas, baby, getting ready to help. I get to do and help with a ribbon cutting, which I'm very excited about. The Boot Hill Casino out here in Dodge City is opening a DraftKings Sportsbook. Very jazzed for that. I get nice. to be out here. I get to help with the opening ceremony. My biggest question is, do I get to use a pair of comically big scissors to cut a ribbon? I mean... If they're making sure you're there in person, you better be able to hold some big ass scissors. That's what I keep hoping, man. I'm like Happy Gilmore at the golf tournament right now. Just give me one of them big ones. I don't care. <laughs> I, I need this. Yeah, uh, big I checks was, uh, to big scissors. Uh, I've I've received a key to the city before uh, in Decatur, Indiana, and it was, it was a wooden and large and the mayor signed it and it was one of those things where like you never really know what it's going to be like when you get one of those opportunities but <laughs> wait why did you receive the key to decatur indiana <laughs> uh because it was right after you guys won a national championship you guys wait, 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 to be clear didn't win a national championship <laughs> lost brutally in a national championship <laughs> look you can tell i wasn't there um <laughs> Right after you guys competed in the national championship, and Goody had this event uh, with this, some like John Goody, you know, was a wide receiver for us on that team. Yeah, oh my gosh, I keep forgetting that it's from Fort Wayne, Indiana. Yes, uh, fair catch, Goody. Um, he had he at Fort Wayne, Decatur's right next to Fort Wayne. It was some like Friars Club 
And basically everybody just sit there and answer questions and talk to people. And afterwards we both got keys to the city. So definitely a piggyback key to the city, but <laughs> I got it. I just love how like you were around. And so they're like, oh sure, we can get another key made up. No, listen, I had stories too. Goody answered all of the national championship stories. I answered all the Ch- Charlie Weiss ones. You know, it was fair. Oh, all right. There we go. Was, <laughs> so it wasn't a piggyback. It was, you were an equitable portion of that key to the city. Yeah, yeah, it was, you know, I was like this, you know, like I was, well, you know, I was, I played play B Mike. Well, and I think that is like a, a great reminder of the big scissors. So you guys each split up what would have been one key to the city for one person. There's no one else here helping cut this ribbon but me. And so I feel like because of that, it needs to, you know, do the fusion dance and make one giant pair of scissors for me to cut this. Either way, I am excited. From what I've seen, it is a beautiful looking sports book in there. I'm excited to test drive it personally tonight uh, and uh, really put this thing to work and work their blackjack tables over. I'm planning on taking Boot Hill for all they're worth. I'm feeling good today, man. I took it on the chin travel yesterday all day, got delayed nine hours in the Dallas airport. So in my mind, that means I'm just due for a win on the back end. Oh, oh, absolutely, absolutely. Your luck is like uh, accruing, if you will. Um, but now that I'm in this hotel, I have uh, a bunch of just like just hotel like issues that are top of mind. Like the shower here, this place doesn't drain properly. Like that's one of the worst things. We take a shower and it turns into a bath. Well, I, or a great thing, like if you've got no. somewhat of the apparatus for it, a little no. surprise bath time. I don't know if you saw the guys over at Channel 6, Spencer Hall, writing the story, 2023, fellas were taking more baths, which if you Ooh. know if you know me, been a big bath boy about it for a minute now. So <laughs> welcoming the rest of my, literally, come on in, fellas. The water's warm. It's going to be fantastic. But yeah, surprise bath doesn't sound like a bad time. It does. I'm, I'm a big dirty water showers get the dirt down the drain faster. But anyways, uh, what, what do we got today? Yeah, we got a great show for everyone today. As always, make sure you download, subscribe, rate, and review Gojo. Leave us a five star rating and a review, and check us out on the DraftKings YouTube channel as well. And listen, if you are listening to this podcast and near Dodge City, Kansas, near the Boot Hill Casino, come on out. It's going to be a good time. Looking forward to it. So again, thank you to the folks at DraftKings for letting me come be a part of this. I'm excited to see the beautiful facility. And I'm excited to see anybody that shows up there uh, tonight. But in the meantime, we got a great show. Odell Beckham Jr. update, which is a thing that I was not necessarily Man. ready for this Friday. We got a little March Madness preview going into championship weekend in college basketball. And we need your help. And finally, The Last of Us, episode eight, the penultimate episode of season one. We got to get a review in there before this weekend and the season finale. But uh, Brandon... All roads start with uh, Aaron Rodgers. In a week full of quarterback news, we had the Daniel Jones contract the other day, the Lamar Jackson uh, non-restricted franchise tag. Aaron Rodgers had kind of been on the back burner for most of the week until yesterday when ESPN NFL insider Diana Rossini went on Get Up over there and said and reported that there was optimism around the New York Jets of their being able to land Aaron Rodgers after on Tuesday, I think it was Dan Graziano said, they flew everybody out to California to talk to Aaron Rodgers. Woody Johnson, the owner, Robert Sala, the coach, Nate Hackett, the offensive coordinator. They just they put everyone out there. They went to... but I, I think it would be really funny if... 
Aaron Rodgers would do the like vision quest version of what Kevin Durant did in the Hamptons that summer of his free agency. Remember when he bought the house and everyone had to come out there and basically kiss the ring and golden States and all those people. It'd be funny if Aaron Rodgers essentially went and recreated the darkness retreat and made everybody come in and drop acid to take a meeting with him. Wow. Yeah. Like he, he has a little bit more power in this thing and the jets are a little bit more thirsty than maybe even he's realizing he should definitely throw around some, you're not willing to trip with me? How right. could I throw touchdowns for you? I don't understand how I'm supposed to trust this situation if you're not willing to open your mind about how we look at this. So and the power dynamic that you mentioned is the interesting part of this now, too, because the Jets feel optimistic about this. And it seems like, by all accounts, we've said reading the tea leaves with Aaron's a really hard thing to do. If he wound up playing playing for the Packers again this season, would be the most surprising outcome. The funniest Absolutely. outcome would be after all of this, him deciding to just retire after all of this, like getting Stop. the jet. I mean, giving the Jets football blue balls and retiring yes. would be one of the funniest thing on earth. Well, speaking of uh, giving the Jets blue balls, Adam Schefter yesterday. Oh, that was Very, foul. It should have been illegal. Uh, he, uh, Adam, if you missed it, Adam Schefter tweeted, and the Jets have agreed to a trade, and then let that sit for a little bit, and then said, they're trading for Chuck Clark. The Ravens are giving up Chuck Clark to the Jets. It was, you know, how every time like some some like wild thing happens, or Adam Schefter tweets, and there's always that reply guy that says assault in the replies yes. below. This was this was that that was that was assault showing up in the mentions there. So I uh, I, just, I can't. I just, I just don't understand why the Jets are continuing to take the Ravens leftovers on defense. This is like uh, something that uh, Rex Ryan started a long time ago. I mean, listen, CJ Mosley worked out pretty well for them, especially in the midst of last year's defense. So that was, that was the one that I was actually upset that got away. Yeah. (laughs) The one that got away there. Um, But for the, the Packers and the Jets now, and for Aaron Rodgers, the power dynamic involved in all of this is very interesting because like we said, the the Jets now appear to be the main suitor and the only suitor. And they also have the advantage of kind of feeling right now that it seems like it's over. And so all of that doesn't really put Green Bay in the most advantageous position when it comes to what they can demand on the other side of this. Like, I think I saw um, like the trade package that, I saw people floating like Rich Samini and others for what the Packers might get in return for Aaron Rodgers. Rich Samini, who's the ESPN Jets reporter, was floating the idea of the Jets giving up like a 2023 second rounder and a conditional 23rd based on, you know, team performance. Said he doesn't see them giving up, you know, their first round pick, which for a quarterback of Aaron's caliber, maybe three or four years ago would have been out of the question. But as a 38 year old going on 39 is a little bit of a different calculus. And so between that and then apparently some financial sticking point where it seems like by all reporting, the Jets want the Packers to eat some of the 2023 salary Mm. for Aaron Rodgers. 
it becomes tough. And Brandon, from the Packers' perspective, it seems like, and we hear all this, you know, reporting from the other side that the Packers are hoping he wants out and the Packers want to start over and and whatever. You hear all those rumblings around it. It seems like the Packers are just going to have to eat the financial portion of this. If they trade him before June 1st, they're going to have probably a $40 million dead cap hit. It's going to be what haul can you squeeze out of the Jets in the draft to try and get some stuff to help you with rebuilding, with putting some pieces around Jordan Love as you let it go and understanding that financially 2023 is just going to suck for you because for the Jets on the other side Rodgers isn't a huge cap hit for the next couple of seasons um I think it's you know in the teens of millions this year and in the 20s of millions next year so it's not an overwhelming number for them by any means but on the other side for the Packers this is more you know the price you can pay like I know some people that in a divorce have given up a little bit more because they want to be done with the proceedings sooner and for the Packers this seems to be that is how much is the price of just ending your pain at this point and trying to recoup as much as you can on the other side so but with that Mike say everything that we hear is going to happen happens who seems like the winner of this trade I mean I would say so just the Jets getting a getting an Aaron Rodgers quarterback or just I would, or the Packers getting rid of Aaron Rodgers. But I would say the Jets because with what they had built up last year and how much progress their defense made, right? That's a team that all of a sudden vaults to real playoff contention. And what oh. happens beyond that, you know, we'll remain to see, but right. if Aaron Rodgers goes out there and can regain any of the form like we're one year removed from Aaron Rodgers winning the second of back-to-back MVPs yes we saw there's still good football in there it's just going to be how quickly can he acclimate there the weapons in New York still pretty young for the most part around him so the young receiver conversation that we have with the Green Bay Packers doesn't necessarily go away the biggest difference is if the defense on the other side performs even remotely close to what they did last year, we know defense year over year is hardest to hold statistically in the NFL. Right. But if they're anywhere close to that, that ends up being, I think, the biggest difference from what we saw last year in Green Bay, where that defense on paper was supposed to be one thing and ended up being almost entirely another for the majority of that season. And so I think that would buy you a little bit more of a cushion where on offense, listen, you'd still have the run pieces there, Brees Hall coming back healthy after being injured after six games to go along with the offensive rookie of the year and Garrett Wilson, who was sensational. Yeah, and also on the other side, with Sauce Gardner, like I, the, right. the defense that the Jets provide in a very odd way are, is more reliable than what the Packers were able to roll out last season. Which is insane given how much draft capital, how much high-end draft capital and free agent dollars the Packers had spent putting that unit together. It was a massive disappointment for the majority of the year. Also, just some housekeeping. The Rodgers uh, cap hit next year would be 15, just over $15 million. 2024, it would be $32.5 million for the New York Jets. Which again, though, for a quarterback not necessarily the worst thing in the mm. world they've already been restructuring some contracts i think they they restructured some of cj Izama's deal their tight end they're creating a little bit of cap flexibility to not only potentially trade for aaron Rodgers, but to then also have some room to go and make some moves off of that because that's the other part for the jets right is you talked about who the winner is here i think it would be the jets 
dependent yeah. on you know how much draft capital you're able to hold on to just because and, and part of this is i think i'm rewarding immediacy like long term if the packers do get a bunch of good picks that become good players then right. all of a sudden that'll change how we think about this especially if this becomes a jordan love resurgent year where right. all of a sudden they finally get the return on that draft pick and their plan to do that looks a little bit less foobar which At this point, I don't know how you can look at drafting Jordan Love as anything other than kind of a disaster just because of all of the internal strife that it started in the organization. Mm. Like, that was the beginning of all the Rodgers trouble was how you went about communicating that draft pick. And I understand Aaron's got to own his portion of it, but we know that that was the pain point. That was the flashpoint that kind of launched everything that happened after that. Yes, but do we believe... Uh, because there's already strife. It feels like Aaron Rodgers wants to beef and wants to have that little tiff with people. Obviously, Mike McCarthy ended up getting out of there because of whatever happened with him and Aaron Rodgers. It feels like the Jordan Love thing was like the... It's like a relationship that's ending and you're just like, there's one more thing that just really pissed me off. Like, that was the (laughs) final straw. Like, it feels like Jordan Love is at the back end of just like a marriage that was already going bad. And you know what else? (laughs) Yes. Uh, Jordan Love. Yeah. And again, it's, I think, like you said, part of this is also that underscores the length of this relationship and how complicated it is right, and all the right, Brett Favre right. comparisons that are coming right now. Like right. the, the reason green Bay fans might think it's a win is because you're right. It has been a headache headache like this for a while because long before the public kind of flipped on their perception of Aaron Rodgers and the national level did locally. I'm sure there was a lot more frustration with every year getting some version of this it was just hey you were getting mvp caliber play especially in the last few years so you couldn't beef with it all that much i guess the other part about grading winners and losers in this situation even preemptively as we haven't had the trade but hypothetically is each team's relative position green bay is coming off of one of the most insane runs of quarterbacking overall that we've seen we've talked about how it went from Favre to Rodgers and to have two Hall of Famers go back to back at quarterback both of whom net you one Super Bowl you can argue whether about that was enough whether that was underachieving but that's not a conversation that many franchises get to have and so for Green Bay to sort of prepare for an era where they might be in a little bit more rebuild mode but they're free of this constant tension that comes they're going to find out about a different set of problems for the Jets, their problem has been they have never been able to get this. This will be the first time in my adult life that the Jets have had a quarterback that would actually be considered someone that you can count on and someone with some credibility at that position. And to couple that with something resembling the defense we saw last year, the Jets would be the perfect candidate for smash and dash. Like they don't like they don't need to be thinking about building this holistically. I think they would take, hey, we know now this puts us in like maybe a you can maybe bank on a two year run with Aaron Rodgers before things start to get spicy, especially as he's getting north of 40. And so you're saying, hey, in the two, maybe three year window of this, we are going to do everything humanly possible to try and do what's evaded us for years and years and years. Yeah, I mean, I really do love it. I think in the AFC East, where it's kind of wide open right now in a way that it hasn't been, Aaron Rodgers gives uh, the Jets an advantage the way that Tom Brady used to give the Patriots an advantage walking into the season in the AFCs. Obviously, Bill Belichick as well. But I, I, because of the 
lack of production at quarterback with the Jets. Like all I can think of is how many playoff wins before Aaron Rodgers throws on the mink coat and does the Joe Namath. Like it just feels like even when things are going well, it's going to feel like it's going that much more. It's like the Knicks being good at basketball again. It's a force multiplier in that town, 100%. And there is the interpersonal side of things, too. Aaron Rodgers and everything we've seen from him publicly in the last couple of years. How does that play in the New York media? How does that personality Mm -hmm. play in the New York media if all of a sudden things are going wrong? Like the Green Bay Packers, you know, that's a family town. I played my last ever football game there in the fourth preseason game. It's like a, it's it's a wonderful town, but football wise, it's like a big high school town where everything shuts down mm. on game day. The fourth preseason game was packed to the brim. <laughs> Nobody goes to watch me and the future enterprise, <laughs> enterprise rental car people play football, <laughs> except there. And so that's the kind of like dedication, insulated, far right. off, different media market than New York. So all of those things absolutely going to play a factor in this, but. Um, I just think there's that desperation to try and make it work because you haven't had something close to this. And he's going to walk in and be the second-best quarterback in that division. I saw Marcel, Marcel Louis-Jacques, who'd been on with us here, friend of the podcast, uh, ESPN mm-hmm. Dolphins reporter, say there could be an argument that he's the third. I don't think there's an argument for third. that. <laughs> I, I think it's a, a Tua conversation. That, oh, my yeah, I. I, I love Marcel. I do not think that's remotely true. I, no. I think, you know, this is Josh Allen's world. Aaron Rodgers would clearly be the second best quarterback in this division. I know last year wasn't cute, but uh, I, I just don't think that's because we ca- saw a quarterback wholesale follow off. Well, another, I mean, not to get into the Buffalo's pocket, but Leslie Frazier taking a year off from coaching like I, I don't know what that what that's going to mean for that Buffalo defense and like what that Bu- team looks like Buffalo has more questions than we're going to talk about right now because remember right, the right. end of that season after the Josh Allen UCL injury in the middle of the year offense kind of regressed we saw a little bit more of that old Josh the offense seemed a little bit more one-dimensional had some trouble up front you know I did plenty of hits with Buffalo stations all year and they talked about some of the inconsistencies in the offensive line especially at tackle and then defensively after Von Miller went down there was a lot of stuff that didn't necessarily look like it had been the development they were looking for on that defensive front and a bunch of injuries. So yes, all to underscore your point, there are more questions about the bills than I think we're going to have right now. The only other uh, interesting question, and I saw uh, people float this, I think I was listening to the uh, Dominique Foxworth show um, and they brought, or he either tweeted or maybe said on the podcast, I forget, but brought up maybe the idea of the Jets being a team that took a swing for Lamar Jackson, too, which is kind of an interesting thought experiment of you know what you want to what you want to do because again you'd be giving them a long term deal so salary cap wise you can spread that out you know the advantage of those deals is always you can play financial games to make sure that you know you're not killing yourself here in the immediacy gives you a longer window and a longer ramp for what we just talked about and trying to build out this team certainly would be an incredibly talented get versus what puts you immediately on the clock with Aaron Rodgers. I, I mean, say two things. One, I haven't hated the Lamar Jackson New York Jets jersey edits. Uh, they, those are the ones that seem to not hurt my feelings as much. But also, I was that was that answers my next question. If Aaron Rodgers does pull an Aaron Rodgers and ends up 
being the third host of Jeopardy next year, like what do the Jets do? And I, yeah, Aaron I, and Lamar Jackson is probably one of their one A. Or obviously, if, if Aaron Rodgers is one, there is no one A. You know that that might be a good uh, secession plan. That is, I think, an interesting thing to consider when we talk about where we're at. Because, again, with everyone crying collusion right now with Lamar Jackson, and understandably so because of how strange the circumstances are around a team team betting that the rest of the market is not going to give this person what they want and then a bunch of people that should want his service immediately say, nope, we're bowing out of this. It all, it all smells a little wild out mm-hmm. here. And as we've talked about, all you really need is one team that wants to party. And man, if you're the Jets and Aaron Rodgers were to, for some reason, flash retire and you've gone all the way down this road and Zach Wilson's huddled over in a corner, terrified because even his own Ooh. teammates have been out publicly simping for Aaron Rodgers in a way that's got to be deeply uncomfortable. And I oh do feel gosh. for the, I do feel yes. for the young man, but there's just no way. And so... So if you want to talk about a team that could potentially end up being desperate enough to go and get an Aaron Rod or get a Lamar Jackson and to feel like they got to give him whatever he wants, the Jets would be interesting if you were to game out that scenario. So just some things to keep an eye on. But I'd imagine based on how this sounds reporting wise, it sounds like Aaron Rodgers is going to be a Jet, which means he's going to retire. So uh, we'll wait and see what the compensation <laughs> package looks like in the parade that Packers fans throw for thinking that they're finally rid of their problems only to realize that they are inheriting an entire new set of problems. Uh, But Brandon, speaking of problems. All right, guys, let's talk about Jägermeister. They could have written a totally normal ad here, like a really classic ad. They could have talked about their history, the 56 botanicals. It could have been all salesy and cutesy, but they know you don't care. Jägermeister doesn't want to be like all those other ads you've seen and heard. They just wanted to say two things. Jägermeister is great. But everyone has been drinking it wrong. Damn, that's cold. Drinking it wrong? All right, if that's the case, how should we be drinking it? They are so glad you asked, and so am I, Dad. I'm here to help you. Ice cold is the answer, at zero degrees Fahrenheit to be exact. Ice cold shots of Jägermeister. That's it. That's all they want to tell you. So, wherever you are, if you're hanging out with friends or at the bar, call the shots. Cheers with ice cold shots of Jägermeister. Damn, that's cold. And remember to check out Jägermeister at www.draftkingsxjägermeister.com. Remember, drink responsibly. Jägermeister liqueur, 35% alcohol by volume. Imported by Mast Jägermeister US, White Plains, New York. We got the uh, diagnosis for Kevin Durant, who is now expected to miss two to three weeks with that ankle injury, according to ESPN's Adrian Wojnarowski. Thanks. I felt pretty good about that one. Yeah, that was awesome. The team, so the team said in a release that Kevin Durant has a left ankle sprain and will be reevaluated in three weeks. Uh, he had an MRI on Thursday after he slipped in his ankle on warmups Wednesday for what would have been his son's home opener against his old team, the Oklahoma City Thunder. Brandon, this becomes interesting because Kevin Durant this season, so two to three weeks. I mean, there's not going to be much if any regular season left. You know, there was right. reporting originally that he might miss the entire rest of the regular season and some into the postseason. But if we're to assume that more or less now this puts you at Kevin Durant is a postseason hired gun for the Phoenix Suns, mm. what does that make them capable of? Because on the surface, you're already looking at this as he came in really late in the game 
and it was going incredibly well. Like the kind of well that only Kevin Durant can net you where the three games right. that he had played, he was averaging almost 27 points, over seven rebounds, and over three, over just under four assists. He had shot almost 70% in those wins. He had been as plug and play as anyone we'd ever seen. And that's coming off of missing over a month with a knee injury on the opposite knee of the one that he missed over 20 games for last year. Like a host of, and you know this, one of the biggest things we got preached to in college was how connected the posterior chain is. You oh. treat it all like, <laughs> yeah, flash, flashbacks to Paul Longo's <laughs> weight program and working the posterior uh, chain, which man. is everything from your low back on down because it's yes. all connected. Like I remember yes. when my dad turned 50 and all his old playing injuries came back. My dad had had some knee issues and they turned into hip issues. They turned into a foot issue. They turned wow. into back issues for him at 50 because it's all connected in that spot. Mm -hmm. And so Kevin Durant has constantly been able to defy reason and logic when it comes to him bouncing back from injury and playing incredibly well. This would be the most extreme outlier. Like if Kevin Durant's able to come back and perform meaningfully in this postseason and the Suns are able to make a deep run with him, it is going to be one of the most impressive things that we've ever seen. We talk about the giving Kevin is Durant it? his flowers. Yes, absolutely. If with how he's played three games, like we talked about how minimally invade how minimal the time together for the Nets was that first year right. where the Nets actually almost made basketball really unfun after only playing like 17 games together, this yeah. would be that to the umpteenth power. I don't, I'm struggling to see how Kevin Durant gets flowers for this because of his lack of durability. But I, I think it's more of an, uh, more of a conversation about just how good the Suns are right now and how an addition like him even hobbled during a layup line could make a difference of them making a playoff, uh, a championship run, not even a playoff run, because the Suns can do a playoff run. Yeah, they can do a playoff run, but without Kevin Durant, I don't think they're capable of doing a championship run. And so him coming back obviously becomes risky because he's had two injuries this season, lower body injuries. I mean, this year, forget this season. In 2023, yeah. his injury for the knee was January 8th, and he didn't come back until the end, almost the end of February versus now this ankle that's going to have him out for the next three weeks. So he hasn't had a lot, a lot of time on the court, hasn't had almost any time on court with this team. And so I do think it would be, one, incredibly risky now because, as we know, the biggest predictor of future injury is past injury and as yeah. recent as this. But that, the threat of injury, coupled with only three games on the court with this team likely heading into the postseason, would make this – incredible and would say something about Kevin Durant that I feel like old heads would have to respect tried and true because mm. we talked about this the other day with the Nikola Jokic conversation that boy got turned up to the max this week yeah that part of this was style of play and for Kevin Durant style of play is that Kobe Bryant, Michael Jordan, Carmelo Anthony, tough shot making right, right, you know right. ability to go in the mid range take people off the dribbles like he is a the purest scorer that we have and the best right. scorer in basketball and a top five player in the NBA still when he's healthy and on the court. And because of how he does it and because of what he'd need to do if this team made a run, all of that with the backdrop now of this injury would make it one of the most improbable postseasons. Like, I'd have a hard time betting on it, but if you were going to do it with anybody, we just saw on a three-game sample size why it would be Kevin Durant. 
Yeah, but it's it's about the Suns and what they can do while he's off the court. Because if Luka Doncic without Kyrie Irving was able to get them up out the paint last year during the playoffs, then you got to worry about those games where Kevin Durant's not out there. Oh, 100%. And this year, like in this Western Conference, yeah. like just looking at the way that this has all broken now with how the Western Conference standing look, I can say this pretty clearly. Denver and Sacramento, if you ever wanted to do something, Ooh. this is your year. Like Sacramento had an awesome win against the Knicks the other night. They're a fun team. They're a really fun team to watch. Like De'Aaron Fox has been incredible this year. Demonis Sabonis is the kind of big that can take the ball all the way up the court. An awesome arsenal of post moves. Like they, they look awesome and they've got plenty of guys that they trust in the depth there for them and the nuggets. You look below them. Memphis right now dealing with everything surrounding John Morant. We're not sure Mm -hmm. what you're going to get or if you're going to get him going towards the rest of this season. The Phoenix Suns, Kevin Durant injury now popping up. The Clippers, who might be the team that's waiting in the wings to do the most damage if you can keep Kawhi and Paul George on the floor together the entire time, which has been the biggest question mark of this era of the Clippers. And then you've got Golden State, who's 12 and a half games behind Denver in the sixth spot in a three-way tie with Minnesota and Dallas to be just out of the play-in game. Like, that Golden State team terrifies everybody because you know they've got the championship pedigree even if it's looked like anything but this year. Yeah. yeah I mean, yeah, they, they have the... <clears throat> as much as you don't trust the Suns in the playoffs, that's how much you do trust the Warriors in those situations. Well, and I guess that's it, right, is we're going to be dealing with a lot of weird mental stuff, weird mental baggage walking into the postseason because we do trust people like the you know the golden state warriors for that reason because they just won a championship last year and we've all been stunned by how quickly the same core has dropped off but like draymond said the other night as his beef with dylan brooks had another epic chapter and the warriors got dropped by memphis even without john Mm. morant and you had dylan brooks putting you know or uh Draymond Green putting his armpit and his elbow all up in Dylan Brooks's face, and it was two guys who looked like they were really, really <laughs> close to going to doing some mouth to mouth. Like it was another chapter in that. You had all the off the court reasons for that, but Draymond Green sort of said after when he was addressing this situation, he said, "Winning in March doesn't mean anything to me." He's like, "I can barely roll out of bed mm. for games in March." Basically. Ooh doing what we've seen overall broadly from experienced players who have made postseason runs, this devaluing of what the regular season and wins there mean. So that's why we worry getting into the postseason about, all right, Denver, all right, Sacramento, who's new on the scene and having a great Mm -hmm. time putting max effort, light the beam during the regular season. But it's different when you all of a sudden are game planning for seven games. You have the time and room to lock down and hone in on one opponent. It tends to change the math on a lot of these situations. And for people that haven't been there and haven't seen how it shortens up everything, how it speeds up the game. Those are questions we rightly get to ask about those teams up top. But, man, when you've got a field that's as literally wounded as most of the top end of the Western Conference of the people we would trust, this is the golden opportunity for Sacramento, for Denver, for one of the non-traditional Western Conference powers to make this thing happen. Lakers, you know, uh, the Pelicans. Uh, No, Listen, I hear you. I hear you. But at the end of the day, all I can think about is Kevin Durant and his mindset. Because that's the part that 
is a uncovered variable when it comes to the injuries. Like if anyone knows how to handle injuries, it's Kevin Durant. But you got to think it's going to start to take a toll, right? Like, like obviously, like he he rolled his ankle something hideous when there was no one in the paint. And obviously, he's an elite scorer, can score from anywhere. But if he doesn't have taking it to the slash into the middle in his arsenal, which, you know, he's a basketball player. He's going to do whatever he needs to in that time. I just feel like I just feel like we're not getting the assassin that Kevin Durant is because we're coming so fresh off this injury going into the postseason. It's going to be the big question, but we know this has also been a part of Kevin Durant's past. Remember in Golden State, you had him coming back off that calf injury that ends up turning into the Achilles where he came back and tried to push it. And so obviously your first worry is you don't want this to become any worse. You don't want this to be anything more long-term than it already is. But you're right. The hardest part of every injury recovery for an athlete is that mental portion. Can I mentally convince myself that I can go out here and do all the things I'm used to doing? And we've talked about this the other day. Kevin Durant's a seven-footer who has guard game to him, Mm. like the way that he can operate. So I I, I hope so because I do want to see in this like very interesting experiment for the Suns if it can be enough. Because, again, if you can just plop down Kevin Durant truly at the start of the postseason and say play ball and it works, that is a terrifying endorsement of that one player's individual skill and how just – like. I, I call certain, you know, I call the Kyle Shanahan offense the universal solvent when it comes to quarterbacks. Mm-hmm. Kevin Durant would be the universal solvent when it comes to basketball. You can literally right. just plop him down, and he is going to make every team instantly better. Honestly, this is the, the conversation about Lamar Jackson. Also, is because of his unique skill set. Wherever he goes, in like I, uh, I heard again Dominique's podcast. They called him the, you know, the NFL's best floor raiser because immediately Ooh. what you're capable of goes up because of this one player's incredibly unique skill set, Kevin Durant being a seven-footer with you know the game that he has. And so I, I hope we get that opportunity. I hope this ankle recovery goes very well for Kevin Durant, and we'll wait and see how that one shakes out. Brandon, now it's time to ask the big question of the day. Oh, yeah. The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action on DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. With same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more, don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. And now that the Boston Celtics have slayed the boogeyman in the Miami Heat, Boston fans we feel a little bit more confident about the situation. You can decide right now, and if you're new to DraftKings, you can also check this out. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get 150 in bonus bets instantly. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code GOJO. That's code GOJO for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just 5 bucks. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. That's 467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Are you, you serious right now? It is. Right now, it's that time. Right now, right now. Do you know what time it is? <sighs> yeah, Mike, but I'm not confident. Dum-dum-dum-dum-dum-dum-dum-dum. 
Okay. Oh, actually, I think I'm supposed to start it already. Okay. This hits that ice cold, that shell fight for that white gold. This one for them hood girls, them good girls, straight masterpiece. Styling, wildin', living it up in the city. Got Chuck's on with Saint Laurent. Gotta kiss myself, I'm so pretty. I'm too hot, hot damn. Call the police and the fireman. Too hot, hot damn. Make a dragon wanna retire, man. Too hot, hot damn. Say my name, I know who I am, too hot, hot damn. In my band about that money, break it down. Girls think you hallelujah, ooh, girls hit you hallelujah, ooh, girls hit you hallelujah. Cause this that third gonna give it to you, cause this that third gonna give it to you, cause this that third gonna give it to you. Friday night and we in the spot, this that and the third, come on! This, that, nothing. <laughs> I knew it. That's the veteran experience creeping in of knowing when I'm about to get railroaded. I have such a deep appreciation for your ability to go all out while in a hotel room, too, because it is oh the most gosh. self-conscious I ever am recording is when I'm in a hotel room understanding that some poor bastard in the room next to me is getting a radio show that he did not download, subscribe, rate, and review for. I, not even that. My dad's in, uh, on the other side of the room just getting ready for his day. <laughs> it's just like, okay, Brandon's singing now. He went from talking about uh, the Jets to Kevin Durant to now he's singing. So. Oh, man. It's a, <laughs> it's a wild world we live in. If you appreciate it, make sure you download, subscribe, rate, and review Gojo. Leave us a five-star rating and tell Brandon how much you enjoyed him serenading his father in a hotel room in Philadelphia today. <laughs> uh, Brandon, let's get to this. Um, this is, uh, first off, a... Uh, uh, a health update on Kansas men's basketball coach Bill Self, who is expected to miss the remainder of the Big 12 tournament this weekend with what doctors called a standard procedure the school announced on Thursday. They didn't give any sort of specifics on this and denied reports of a heart attack that had circulated earlier in the day. Wow. So hopefully that's, you know, not true. And they were denying that for good reason. Bill Self said, I'm grateful for the overwhelming number of well wishes I've received. I'm excited to get back with my team in the near future. And assistant Norm Roberts has served as the interim coach for the Jayhawks uh, in their win over West Virginia on Thursday. And so, Brandon, obviously, big to monitor because Kansas right now, I believe the last I saw in Joe Lenardi's bracket, uh, bracketology breakdown is in a tie for the number one overall seed with Alabama. And so this is, you know, arguably the best team in basketball. And so human standpoint, wish Bill Self very well. And hopefully this is a quick and speedy recovery for him. But it does also remind us that conference championship weekend is here. And that decision is going to get made, you know, this weekend in men's and women's college basketball selection Sunday and Monday coming up. And that means it is time for us to get ready uh, for our bracketology, Brandon. And I feel like we haven't done enough bets on this show. Um, You and I still have to figure out when and how you're going to pay off that donut race challenge for our NBA all-star celebrity team draft. Don't think I've forgotten about that. That's payment still waiting in the wings. But in the meantime, we also do have to figure out what we are going to wager on our March Madness brackets that we're going to fill out. And we want to see, we, we want to try and get together a bracket challenge that we can do with everyone who's listening. So at Gojo Show on Twitter, yes. if you'd be down for that, let us know. We're going to try and put that together somewhere in the coming week and make that 
that happen. We've got another interesting bracket challenge that's going to be coming out to you guys very soon. So keep an eye out for that. We're going to need some voting help. But Brandon, at Gojo Show on Twitter, I do want to hear from people. What should our wager be between your and I's brackets for March Madness to already add on to what you've got to do eating donuts and running, you know, a little under five or right around five miles? Can I put myself in some fire by suggesting some things? Oh, boy. Okay. Why am I already saying that I'm going to lose this? I'm not. You're going to lose the, the bracket challenge. But um, maybe a little hot chip challenge during this and the third. Oh, man. Let me tell you, that thing is not a game. Like. <laughs> not to be hot- played with. I don't care if they're selling it at gas stations now. Still not to be played with. I did the hot chip challenge on Mike and Mike when it was still on back in the day. And they had to dump me twice. I was blinded by I was blinded by heat so much. I think I said like holy shit that's hot and everyone around me is laughing and I don't know why. And my dad looks over at me and I go, Oh shit, did I swear? Just because I couldn't see. And like Trey Wingo, who, you know, friend of the show obviously from our days on Golik and Wingo, he ate the one chip challenge in a way that I have seen no one else bulldog it. So apparently he's just built from different stuff than I am, and I am a soft little baby man, but that is absolutely a terrifying potential outcome for this. I I hear I feel like the the answer to that is Trey Wingo just has the best poker face. I feel like I can he seems like somebody who would just be able to cry later. Apparently, because based on his background, like Trey Wingo's a Connecticut lifer. He's a guy that's been around there a lot like myself, and he's also you know, a large adult white man who would not right. you would expect to have more Dan Orlovsky taste than you would, you know, a worldly right. palate that would be able to absorb that kind of chip. So nothing but nothing but love and uh, salute to Trey on that. But that's a good selection. That one tried and true, an American classic. I have a couple ideas, but I want to hear from the people Whoa. first. So, you have ideas? You're ruminating? Oh, I have been ruminating, buddy. I got I got one golden goose in me that as we get into negotiations next week, we will reveal. You can also, as always, if you download, subscribe, rate, and review, leave us a five-star rating and leave your suggestion in there. It goes to the top of the pile. That's how these sure. things work. And I'll say, if you comment on the YouTube videos at Go, uh, oh, the yes. Gojo with Mike Golo Jr. tab on the DraftKings YouTube channel, that will also now go to the top of the pile. I check those. I try and see if you guys are being active over there. We need help on YouTube. So I'm not a stranger to asking for it. But uh, it's going to be interesting, uh, March Madness-wise, Brandon. We can get into a lot of coming off this weekend when people are punching their tickets. Um, North Carolina looks like they are going to go from national championship appearance last year in Hubert Davis's first year to beginning the season as a one seed and getting bounced Oof. from the tournament. Uh, they lost in the ACC quarterfinals to, I believe, Clemson this uh, this week. And just same cast of guys, a lot of the same players that were a part of that great run last year, and it just fell completely flat. So some of the Blue Bloods not going to be showing up in the same way that we're used to. Do you put any stock in the championship weekend? Like, I feel like that run that Connecticut and uh, Kimball Walker went on that – you know, they were so hot. They won the Big East, beat Notre Dame, a really good Notre Dame team. And then they just took it all the way to, to winning the championship. Like, that sticks in my craw so much that I think I put a little bit too much stock in the winners of championship weekend when it comes to college basketball. Probably, but I think, like, college sports are so much more emotional than their pro counterparts 
Mm. A lot of times, like especially when you're betting college sports, like in it's college football, I know during the fall, you always pay attention to the calendar a little bit more. When do people have finals coming up, school stuff? Because these are young people. They're a lot more influenced by their circumstances and their surroundings than people who are devoting their True. jobs to this that can kind of insulate themselves. And so it is going to be interesting. I mean, we've seen college basketball, especially up top, be dominated by the same handful of teams for most of the year in that yeah. number one spot, the Alabamas and the Houstons of the world. You've got, if you're looking for a team like you talked about, those sort of late additions to the party mm-hmm. that might get hot at the right time. I mean, look no further than Sister Jean's pick of Kentucky, who uh. is not dependent. When you look at some of the locks, Joe Lenardi from the SEC has Alabama, Tennessee, Kentucky, a&M, Arkansas, and Missouri as the teams that right now look like locks to make the tournament. But Kentucky, we know, floundered for most of this year, has looked stronger as of late, and yeah. was Sister Jean from uh, Loyal America, or I think, uh, I forget what school uh, Sister Jean's even associated with. She's a a citizen of the earth at this point. <laughs> Loyola, it is. It is, right. it is. it is loyal. Okay. Yeah. I, I don't know about Marymount. Maybe it is loyal Marymount, but yes. I think that's the point. Sister Jean's become the identity of that place. But um, yeah. yeah, if you're looking for something like that, maybe the Kentucky Ramblers. is your flavor of ice cream. So, But they did lose their Vanderbilt, which is embarrassing. So just want to throw that out there. <laughs> Vanderbilt, also a tournament team, it looks like, though. Okay, whatever. All right, they're, they're right in the bubble. I think they fall under the work-to-do category for Joe okay. Lenardi on the bubble watch uh, crew. So Vanderbilt, bubble team, Kentucky, maybe taking their eyes off the prize again. They're a chaos agent, which I love. Yes, so, yes, um, yes we'll, we'll wait for the weekend to shake out and get ready for next week um, and then get properly dialed into all this. Brandon, let's get to that, though. Um, Odell Beckham Jr., is holding a workout for NFL teams in Arizona today, if you're listening to this podcast, on Friday, March 10th. Uh, OBJ missed all of last year with that torn ACL. He did do that free agent shopping at the end of the season where we thought and it looked like his plan was to jump on for a postseason run with Dallas or Buffalo or even a reunion with the Giants. Mm-hmm. The Giants, who, by the way, are expected to be a team that's uh, represented at the workout here. Brandon, OBJ, that it was... Last season at the end of the year, I think a reminder that a lot of people weren't sure about what his injury status was, and yeah. apparently in that free agent tour, that became a little bit more of the concern. The Cowboys were leaking a lot of mess on that, right. and people just didn't seem comfortable with signing a receiver who may not be fully healthy to money at the end of that run to then have on the books for next year, but... Now it's put him in a spot where because this offseason, there's not a ton of receivers on the trade market. And this year's wide receiver draft class is not super top-end heavy. It's a lot of slot guys. Mm -hmm. Josh Downs from North Carolina, Zay Flowers from Boston College. You know, Jackson Spinthick-Jigba is probably like the most high-end coming out of Ohio State. But in general, it's not an overwhelming class like we've seen for a while coming out of college football all of which would lend itself pretty well to a 30-year-old who people could still say, hey, hey, you've got all this meaningful experience and potentially still some ability in an offseason where there's a little bit less competition of resources for him. Yeah, I'm a little bit concerned with his durability for an entire season because obviously he was looking like he could end up being MVP of that uh, that Super Bowl that he yep. got injured in the second second half or second before the second half for the Rams and OBJ seemed like the Kevin Durant the Adam to your playoff roster 
right in during the playoffs and you know he'll take the top off the defense but I'm concerned with him having a full season Mike because obviously injuries in the past and he's older you know so I I, I wish him the best I, I hope he's productive and also hope the Ravens end up getting him but outside of that like I just you know He's somebody who might need to be tampered when it comes to minutes. So I don't know if that helps him uh, when it comes to this weak wide receiver market in the draft. Yeah, I, I think you're right. Like, listen, I don't know what the contract numbers would look like for this for all the reasons that you mentioned. But if you're a team that's looking to go from good to great and want someone that's going to kind of go in that Von Miller role that Buffalo mm-hmm. tried to envision for him this year at wide receiver, then maybe that becomes something that's enticing to you. It would be, again, just the ultimate like karmic slap in the face if the Ravens went and tried to get Odell Beckham Jr. and then didn't end up retaining Lamar Jackson Oof. in the same year where they brought Todd Munkin over at offensive coordinator. I, <sighs> I can I can hear Ravens Twitter just breaking underneath me, but um, yeah. so yeah, uh, I it'd be very I mean got a reunion in, the, in New York at this point with Daniel Jones now signed. Ooh. You know, I saw reports the other day that Sterling Shepard wants to try and come back in 2023. Also, guy who was banged up last year, and you know, I believe those two I, are still pretty close. So that's something to keep an eye on here. Him going I, back and would be very funny for the Jersey edit crowd. Yes. Oh my gosh. Hilarious. But I, I thought you said when you said reunion in New York, I thought you were going to say with the Jets. Obviously, he didn't play for the Jets before, but with Aaron Rodgers potentially being there and Garrett Wilson already, like I think there, he would be an X factor to that offense. That you know, the same way that any team would try to sign him to be the, the X factor slot receiver, more more likely. Yeah, I, it's a great point is that is the kind of moves that the Jets would need to start making if you were to bring Aaron Rodgers over. It's, okay, now we've got to maximize this window quickly. We know Aaron Rodgers will want some say, especially in who veteran receivers look like. You'd imagine that's going to be part of the conversation with Joe Douglas and company. But, um, yeah, that's a great point. So could be a little bit. We'll see who shows up and turns out uh, mm, to that workout. Sure. But, Brandon, let's get to the third. Let's. We have got, coming up this weekend, the season finale of The Last of Us, episode Oof. nine that'll be coming up. So we got to talk about uh, episode uh, eight from last weekend, When We Are in Need. As always, if you have not been caught up and if you're not up to date on The Last of Us of HBO, turn the podcast off now. Tons of spoilers ahead. We are going to talk candidly about the episode as we always do. Um, but Brandon, this was... This episode was loud. Like if some of the criticism of the mall episode uh, from episode seven was that it was a little bit too subdued, that there yeah. wasn't enough plot at, you know, action going forward, that we were Oof. going back in time to learn something. This one sped up the clock again and just reminded you where we were. And in its own way, gave us a look back. So quick synopsis. Uh, we go back. Uh, Joel is on life support inside a garage where him and Ellie are hiding out in a neighborhood. <laughs> Just the thought of him being on life support in a, in a post-apocalyptic like yeah. like <laughs> that was post-apocalyptic life support where. <laughs> Ellie ends up getting penicillin and just stabbing it right into the injury. No idea (laughs) what to do. Oh, but yeah. So Ellie is now the caretaker here. The roles have kind of switched. And as does happen in the video game at this time period too, you shift your view and you get to play as Ellie. And so now the show's vantage point has shifted to playing as Ellie is the main character. And so I, I, I really do want to, 
hang in on that point, Mike, because that felt like a big shift here. Mm-hmm. Obviously, that last episode where it was Ellie, it felt like you said it was quite like there's criticism. It wasn't that it was a letdown. It was just that like it was exposition that we didn't think we wanted at that point in time because we just wanted to be f- like force fed the action. Right. And, and that's the, the push and pull of the show where you've got this beautiful story at the same time that you've got cordyceps trying to eat everyone's faces inside of a video game store in the mall. Um, but in this one, so Ellie is now taking care of Joel. And part of that is her going out and trying to hunt for food for them. And that leads to her chance meeting with another party out in now Colorado. I think it's Silver Lake in Colorado ends up being the community that she runs into. But she runs into David and his buddy boy, as she calls him, James, who are out (laughs) also searching for food. And the thing we saw from them is, and the connective point for this was in the episode six where Joel gets stabbed and we get to this point where he's down and out. They run into those raiders at that university. They end up killing one of those guys, and we found out that man has a name. His name is Alec. Mm. He has children who are sad Mm. that he is gone, and they live in the Silver Lake community that is led by David, who is a religious figure at the helm of this building that we find out was not a religious man before the fall, gave Ellie the speech that he believes everything happens for a reason, he found God after, and that he is a shepherd and these people in this resort are his flock. Now, they are a flock that we come to find out are being fed human meat by David, who is a certified lunatic the entire time. Okay, certified lunatic is strong. I feel like he is a functioning lunatic. Yeah, he's a... Certified is... Okay, go ahead. He's he's functioning enough to be as deceptive as he was. Is that fair? Oh, deceptive. Yes. You know me and my in my churchiness. I, I, I try to protect those who are come with the book as their main weapon. Uh but yes, he is he he is he is misguided. Brandon, he is exact he is every person on Twitter who is like demonizing women or saying something hateful in the comments who has Christ lover in their bio. Like (laughs) you're not really, you're just an asshole who's trying to use that as a cover. And that's what Dan, that's what Dan David is in this narrative. He's a monster who's trying to use religion to control these people. And he's done it very effectively. And he tries to bring Ellie in and he talks about as he first tries to offer Ellie, you know, to come in here to join their flock saying we can help out your group she balks on that goes back gets medicine to give joel and uh, uh, wait a minute wait a minute look at that little point ellie apparently like Django, when he got his gun for the first time in Django unchained great shot uh oh, ellie yeah. knocks the, knocks out a buck uh and it was the shooting of the deer and the blood that kind of made her Put put him on put her on David's radar. So she exchanged the deer meat for medicine for Joel. Yeah, which again they needed deer meat because they had been feeding people people meat in that town, which is <laughs> terrifying. And so Ellie go <laughs> Ellie goes back, and there's the realization from uh, David and James, who by the way James in the show is voiced by Troy Baker, who is the voice for Joel in the video game. 
Which is amazing, Mike. Like, I, obviously, if you if you marveled and stayed and saw the end of the credits, he said when he got the call to do this, he thought he was just going to be a clicker or something like that. So for him to actually play a role uh, was obviously big for him, but obviously a, a huge a huge like gift for the people that fell in love with this for the right reasons through a video game. Yeah, there's there's been a ton of Easter eggs and a ton of cross pollination between the the people, the creators, and the voice actors of the game and this show that's been really fulfilling. I think for that crowd that came to it that way, and so he protests because they figure out that Ellie and Joel were the ones that killed their friend. We right. see this other perspective, and Ellie, like you said. Trades at the deer, gets the penicillin, and makes her way out of there. Goes back, gets it to Joel, and understands people are coming after them. Like, Mm -hmm. that crew is sending their crowd to get revenge for their person that they lost. Even if their leader's an insane person, he's still someone in their community that they loved, and so they are going to exact revenge and get Ellie. And you have this incredible scene where Ellie is down in the basement, spending a couple of days shooting Joel full of penicillin, not having any idea if it's working and realizing that that group is group is now coming and hands Joel a knife and says, I'm going to go lead them away. If any of these guys get into the house, you kill those fuckers. And then she bolts, takes the horse and she ends up getting captured. Um, by David and company very, very heroically. Yes. But Joel then is put in that position where he's got to defend himself in the house. And again, in things that are very much like the video game, I can tell you Joel stalking these guys in the house quietly and then shanking them from behind is a move you use over and over again in the game. You're constantly (laughs) crouching, stalking, and choking people out from behind. It is outside of raiding the pantries like we saw Ellie do in the last (laughs) episode. This is the most, oh God, I've done this a million times in the video game part of this show. Okay, so tell me about this, and this is taken away from the narrative of the show, and I, I need to know about the video game, because Sick Joel is very dangerous, as much as Healthy Joel is, so, you know, when you play Grand Theft Auto, you have that, like, health monitor, like, you so you can see when you're going down, or, like, even when you're, like, about to die, like, the screen starts pulsating red or something like that, like, is there any tell in the video game that you're dealing with a person that's on the cusp of dying playing as Joel or Ellie or anything like that. Yep. Just like that. And it was the same when you were Joel trying to get out of the city, when you had been stabbed, your whole Uh, worldview is red. You're constantly stumbling and falling over. You can't hold down the trigger and run anymore. So yeah, you feel you have all of those things that pop up in that. And so I, I just appreciated that, that that was a big time gameplay sequence as Joel is now hunting these guys that have come from this crew inside the Oof. house and we get to meet the old Joel because remember mm. him and Ellie, the bond has kind of been there's violence in both of them. The big conflict with Joel and his brother when he got out to Wyoming was we've done terrible things. And when Joel is interrogating one man with another tied up by jamming his knife into his knee and saying, tell me where on the map your town is or I'll pop your kneecap off. That's when we see that's the guy that was capable of doing whatever it took to survive and will. Yeah, uh, he was uh, terrifying in that moment in a way that we haven't really seen him be terrifying uh, because is that fair to say? Yeah, well, and I think it's kind of the theme of this episode is you see what everyone's capable of for survival. And we've seen it pop up in spurts, but this is one of the most this is what human beings are capable of episodes of the show Mm. because 
Yes. Again, 100%. you've got these people that are just coming after trying to get retribution for their friend, which is what we've seen Joel and Ellie do this entire time. You go all right. the way back to um, Kathleen and the township uh, in that QZ where we right. met Henry and his brother. Like it's Everyone's very- just trying to protect their kin. Yeah. And so you can understand the motivations, but it's survival of the fittest. This is the episode where it's, no, I will do this the most painful way possible to get what I want. And that ends up leading into David Nelly. Once she's captured, he is holding her captive, and he's trying to sell her on this idea of, you're going to be my equal. I've got this flock of sheep, and I need another alpha that's on my level. And Ellie doesn't bite. Ellie worms her way out. And we end up with this sort of stare down between the two where Ellie has been defiant this entire time. She has taken ownership of her own safety. She is out here defending herself. There is no Joel right now to come and save her. And the whole time you get it built up like he might be finally, timing-wise, able to come and save her. He's made his way into the town. He's made his way out. And instead, we get a showdown in a burning burning bar with (laughs) Ellie against David. And... It's to the point where, I mean, very graphically, almost at the end of the episode, you have David getting ready to sexually assault Ellie on the floor of this burning building before she finally gets a hold of a meat cleaver and unloads. This is, I mean, one of the most violent moments of the show as this young woman who was, again, what people are capable of. We've seen with David. David has been controlling He has been someone that's used religion as a shield. He has fed human beings to his flock, killed these people for that purpose, and was getting ready to sexually assault a young woman before the script is flipped. And now Ellie will erase him from existence with a level of rage that even for her, who we heard all through this episode, has a violent heart. I don't even think she fully understood what she was capable of until she was pushed to the point of survival. Yes, I, I think obviously this is a, a turning point for Ellie, but I feel like something that's a through line for her, and especially in the show, is everyone's trying to protect her so much that the audience feels like she can't protect herself, right? Even like the, the first QZ thing was like, you, you don't fight, your friend fights, and she's gone, and then she gets into a fight, right? Like we're seeing Ellie prove just how dangerous that she is. And obviously in this episode, it solidifies that in, in a very real way. Like, Cause the entire scene that you're talking about with the, the fight with David, like you're expecting Joel to burst in at any point in time and save Ellie because Joel is there. Like Joel is, is in the vicinity. So you would just expect them to team up and, and beat the bad guy. And it was not that it was Ellie being smart, violent, and I think it was also an articulation of just like everyone you see at the very top of any of these towns had to do some pretty uh, diabolical things to get there. Yeah, it's it's again what people are capable of when they're pushed to the limit. And I thought it was interesting because you, you you bring up that that violence for her and her protecting herself. Because that was so much of the fight at the beginning, right? You right. go all the way back to when Joel and them encountered Kathleen and company. Joel wasn't even ready to give her a gun. Mm-hmm. Joel was constantly right. telling her, hey, you go crawl through that hole. You go do this. The first time she had to enact violence against someone, he's checking in on her like, hey, are you good? And she's putting on this tough face, acting like, no, I. this isn't the first time I've had to do this. And we find out it was when she likely had to put down her friend and the girl that she had a crush on inside the mall when she eventually yes. turned. 
but she's trying to act like she's she's done this. And we had the loss of instant innocence later on when Henry and his brother both died. But this was the one where on the other side, there actually was not what you'd expect. Like, oh, Ellie took care of herself. She's now going to be like Joel's equal. It was, no, this was the closest father-daughter bond we've gotten at the end of this episode because you get Ellie covered in blood, gasping mm-hmm. for error, coursing off all of the adrenaline that comes with everything she just went through. And Joel's finally there and he kind of snaps her out of it and she just falls into his arms and you hear him drop the, it's okay, baby girl. Like this is both of them yeah. falling back into like, I need to be a dad right now because whatever she went through, I can see on her face was too much. It was way too much for anyone, Mm. let alone someone her age. And I just thought it was interesting that arc of you're right, going from the protected to now all of a sudden someone who can exist on their own, but doesn't need to because they've got this person there that they can rely on again. And, you know, now we set off for the last episode of the show. Joe, Joel is, healed up enough to be up and mobile and doing all of this stuff. Ellie has survived the worst that the post-apocalypse has had to offer her so far. And so what the hell happens from here? I have no idea and I'm terrified of. Well, I will say this. They've got me sucked in enough that I'm excited for the second season. So so much so that I'm not going to like nothing has to happen drastically or dramatically in this final episode to get me in to, you know, be ready for all those months of waiting to get to the second season. But here's what I am thinking about, Mike. That one episode, I don't know if it's going to happen, where you're just following a clicker the entire time. Like, HBO's infamous for this, of like flipping the script and you're like, and for some reason we're in an episode where 30 minutes in, we're not having any verbal cues or anything. Like, we're just like following the life of the the opposite. I'm, I'm just intrigued by that at this point. Yeah, it'll be interesting, and I have no idea what the second game entails or how that'll be adapted. Again, they've done a pretty Mm. dutiful job of adapting this one, and there is going to be the added pressure to deliver on moments like that. The second-to-last episode, episode 8 we're talking about, had 8.1 million viewers. It was the most viewed episode of the series so far. It was a 74% increase in viewership from the series premiere, which had 4.7 million. And so talked about this with, uh, with Bill Lawrence the other day, the expectation that comes with the success of this now and you already yeah. had that expectation from the game crowd now it's going to be equally matched from the tv crowd based on what we've got and obviously millions and millions more are going to watch in post or afterwards because we we our good friend charlotte wilder who said she she's not into the zombie stuff just recently watched the episode because her, her fiance told her that in the beautiful bill episode that's her hometown that is where charlotte wilder yeah. is from I know it's it's ama- amazing. I had completely missed that in the comings and goings of that episode, but Charlotte was uh, kind enough to point that out to us. So you're right; it's going to continue to build up momentum, which is going to make how they leave it at the end of season one, even for the video game crowd that knows what happens in season two. You've got so many people tied into this in different ways that the stakes keep going up and up and up. So Joel and Ellie have. Uh, been on the brink of death both of them in the last two episodes and come out the other side and so uh, we will wait and see what happens in the season finale coming up this Sunday Um, which will be going up against the Oscars by the way which is pretty interesting to see what those viewership numbers will uh, look like but uh, we are going up against the clock so uh, if you've enjoyed this podcast make sure as always you download subscribe rate and review leave us a five star rating and a review we need those again I don't want to have to raise my voice 
Don't want to do it, but we need it. We need help against the algorithm. Also, check us out on the DraftKings YouTube channel as well under the Gojo with Mike Gola Jr. tab. Thank you so much. Enjoy your weekend. Be safe. We'll talk to you Monday. Boom. Money in the bank.